let me ask you, how often do you think about your walk with Jesus? How often do you take stock of your walk with him? So I'm, not, I'm not really sure where to start. Well, here, here I'm going to throw four questions up just to get you started. You're not, this is not an exhaustive list. There are other questions you might ask. Other questions are available. But here are four that I think are worth asking. How do you take stock with, uh, in your walk with Jesus? Well, first of all, I, here's, here's question number one. Am I, am I in a healthy relationship with him? Is my relationship with him healthy? Well, how, how do we discern that? Are you talking to him? Are we talking? Some of the things we thought about over the last little while, paying attention to his word, being in a place of worship, speaking to him in prayer. Are you talking? Am I repentant? Am I allowing things that put a division or, or create a distance, maybe better, create a distance between me and Jesus? Am I Am I repentant? Am I, am, I, am I dealing with those things? Am I asking for forgiveness for those things which are creating a distance between me and him, which are to do with the things that he died with more than living for his glory? Am I in a healthy relationship with him? Second, am I holding on to him? Am I holding on to him? And in, that, in, in this are the matters of trust and reliance. Or is a, is a self-sufficiency and self-reliance, are they really the defining characteristics of how you're living your life in regards to, in regards to Jesus right now? Am I, holding, am I in a healthy relationship with him? Am I holding on to him? Am I trusting him? Am I relying upon him for everything? Is my life de- expressing in some ways the desperate need that I have for him? So am I in a healthy relationship with him? Am I holding on to him? This third question, are my habits being shaped by him? Are my habits being shaped by him? And in this comes personal holiness and pursuing righteousness. Personal holiness and pursuing righteousness. Are, those, are my habits being shaped by him? Am I seeking to follow the example that Jesus gave me? Am I, seeking, am I asking God to conform my character increasingly into the likeness of his son? Am I asking for those things? Am I intentionally and considering what is it that God would do in me? What is it that God would, how is it that God would work in me? Are my habits being shaped by him? And then, Fourth, in the, the, and this is really the discipleship question, am I helping others to live for him? Am I helping others to live for him? Is, does, is my Christian walk, is my life with Jesus, is my relationship with him, is that having a ripple effect on the people God has placed in my life? Am I helping others to live for him? Am I training hearts to live for God's glory? We need to take stock of our walk. If, if I'm not investing in my walk, there is little point in me being intentional about someone else's. So specific, specifically, this says we are to consider, we are to consider, yes, specifically, though, this says we are to consider how to do discipleship. There, there is a how question for us to consider here. Do you see it? Let us, uh, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. There's the how is, the, is the, the matter of our consideration. How are we going to do it? How are we going to approach this? 
How am I going to grow in such a way as, how am I going to, what am I going to call out to God? How am I going to speak to God in such a way as invites him to, to be transforming in me and changing me in such a way as this would be a tangible reality in my life? See, there's an, you see, there's an implicit call here for you and I to think deeply and clearly about the output of our lives. There's an instruction here that is to do with putting what God is doing in your life to work in the lives of others. That's what we're called to do. That's what discipleship is. So we get to, so that when we say, see the word consider, how is that we are to be thinking about how to pursue God in such a way as causes those around us it's for you and I to be pursuing God in such a way as causes those around us to, to prize God. But they need to see that happening in you first. They need to see you prizing God in order for that to be a, a contagious or infectious thing. I know those are not good words to be using uh, just now, but... To think about how the healthy things in your walk with God can be helpful things to someone else in theirs. That's really what we're being encouraged to consider in these verses. The conversations you decide to have, the content you decide to focus on, the regularity of contact and investment in others you decide to build in, the lifestyle we choose, and the patterns of life we pursue. I think I'm now into my third time of sharing this quote, but I'm going to share it again because I think it's really, really, really helpful. Abraham, Abraham Kuyper said this, the greatest gift the church can receive is to have a group of families who take their responsibilities with such Christian seriousness that they are willing to completely alter their lifestyle to raise up disciples for Jesus Christ. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to invest your life in that way for that purpose in order that God would be glorified? So we're to think about it. Discipleship that trains hearts to live for God's glory happens when I'm intentional about it and when I incite others towards it. When I incite others towards it. And that's what this is telling us we are being instructed to do. Our thoughts are to be in this direction. How can I stir the person sitting next to me and the people sitting around me and the people that God has placed in my life? How can I stir them up to live for God's glory? Let's consider how to stir up one another. I love that picture. It's like, stir up. Let's, 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 let's get stirring with one another. That's that kind of picture, isn't it? It's like, it's like you feel as if there's a bit of elbow grease. There's, there's going to be some investment of energy and effort put into that. There's going to be some focus. So, you know, Alison asked me the other day if I'd ever baked a cake. I haven't, but I can imagine, you know, in order to start the, of the ingredients... I said, would you like me to? It's her, it's her birthday coming. Would you like me to? I, I'm not sure she was convinced she wanted me to. I think she'd rather, I went to a shop to do that. But, you know, it's, but the investment and the energy of stirring up in, in order to make the cake happen. I could do that. Or to stir up one another to love and good works. Or to stir one another up. That's, so so, so the, that's what we're called to do. The tense of the word consider the, the, is, is about being present and active. It's a present and active thing. So the sense is 
that we don't just think about this once, so, hey, we thought about it on Sunday, I feel as if, okay, I can take it off my list now, I've thought about it, okay? It's not, it's, a, you, it's a, you go from here, and tomorrow you're thinking about it, and on Tuesday you're thinking about it, and on Wednesday you're thinking about it, and you're constantly thinking about, how can I impact other people for God's glory? How can I stir up the people around me to live? How can I stir their hearts to live for God's glory? Not just in an external thing. That's why we've said hearts, because it's not just an external thing of doing, doing, doing. It's a being, being, being thing that spills over into our love and good works. It's that our hearts would be changed. That's the goal. The heart is the target. And it's something we are, we are called here because of the tense of the word consider, because we're invited to consider it now and in an ongoing way, is that we're always thinking about it, always leaning into this matter of stirring one, other, one another up to love and good works. So in, in the, this idea, this idea of stirring up one another, this, stir, this picture of urgent and active stirring, is there's something about inciting in, in my head I picture the inciting of a righteous riot, if such a thing exists. Let's be about this. As a church, as people, let's be about these things together. We're going to get after this. We're not going to let anything get in our way. The NIV translation has it as spur one another on. If you've seen a spur, it's metal and pointy and creates discomfort for whatever is being spurred by it. But for sure we know this, it provides going forward, it stimulates a reaction. And the goal of the spurring, the goal of the spurring is to move something from where they are with increased urgency. We've all seen enough Western movies to understand how that works. Or certainly I've seen enough Western movies to understand how that works. It pictures stimulating one another towards or sharpening one another towards. It's provoking in a good way towards something. Come on, get up, let's go. I'm stirred up just thinking about it. I'm stirred up just thinking about it because let's 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 face it. There's nothing. There's nothing better for you and I to give our lives to than living for God's glory and encouraging other people to do the same. Is there anything more exciting for you to gather the lives of those around you too than living for God's glory? I don't think there is. I don't think God's word says that there is. So we're to be inciting an inciting presence, inciting people to God's glory. And we're, and it's, we're not just getting railed up for the sake of it. The purpose, the things we are looking to get people excited about and incited to are these two things, love and good works. That's what we're seeking to incite people towards. We're, we're longing for evidence of God's transforming grace and power to be out, the output of people's lives. A practical godliness that serves God's glory. Which invites us to consider what it is that we incite in one another. As an alternative, when we spend time with one another, if it's not God's glory, then, then, then what is it? Is it a grumbling and complaining and criticism rather than grace, compassion, and pointing people to Jesus? Is it worldly thinking rather than working from an eternal perspective? 
Is it selfishness rather than sanctification? How we speak and what we value and what we prioritize matters because we are called to incite love and good works in one another. So how can we inspire and incite within one another a better love, a deeper love? How can we invite one another to do good works together? These are important things for us to consider as a church family. How can we incite with one love and good works in one another? How can we do that in such a way as bears fruit for God's glory? The word for love expresses something of generosity and devotedness and concern. It's, a, it's an active love. It puts others first. It isn't self-serving, it isn't self-protecting, and it isn't self-promoting. It isn't all about me. We are to love, God's word is clear, we're to love. Jesus says we're to love as he, God's word says we are to love as he has loved us. So we're, we're called to a gospel love. So if you think about all of the ways that God has expressed his love to you through the gospel, and his grace, and his mercy, and his kindness, and his faithfulness, and his patience, and his forgiveness... Those are the things you're called to extend into the lives of the people around about you and to encourage and nurture in the lives of those around about you. So if somebody comes to you and says, you'll never guess what they did, is it in that moment your goal to lead them to, to increase the fight or to find a way to forgive? Or if somebody comes and says, I'm not sure I can go back to into a relationship with that person? Is it your job to seek to, to, to is, is, are you going to seek to restore or are you going to reinforce the division? It's an act of love, forgiveness and mercy and grace and patience and peace. It's believing the best, it's being quick to seek and offer forgiveness, it's generous spirited as well, as the things of practical generosity, it's hosp- of things like hospitality and sharing and giving. It's what we said. I recognize in, the, in our mem- the membership covenant at the beginning, I recognize this commitment to biblical community means I flee to unity over disunity, reconciliation over conflict, speaking graciously over gossip and remembering the cross when I'm tempted to be critical. The gospel, the gospel calls me to love most, forgive fast and be at peace with people in as much as it depends upon me. What does that look like in your life? What does that look like in the lives of those around you? What does that look like as you seek to incite that and inspire that in the people around about you? That kind of love talks and it trusts and it tells the truth. It cares and it comforts and it carries. And it doesn't exist, in, and we should know it doesn't exist alone or in isolation, but it's attached to the next thing, good works or good deeds. We're to incite within one another. We're to stir one another up to to love and and good works. Now, just to be clear, just because there's a common um, a common um, misconception round about the whole idea of good works, you can never please God in an eternal way. You can never save yourself through your good works. And we should never try to convince people that they can save themselves or be saved by what they do. The only thing that can save us is, as Michael reminded us during worship, the only thing that can save us is Jesus and what he has done for us. 
And that's really what Hebrews 10 has started off, started off talking about. And that, that's really the, part of that amazing context we talked about earlier on. Only the work of Jesus can save. But the work that comes because we've been saved by Jesus shows that we've been saved. The good works are being descri- described here. Are, it's not... The, it's not, it's not good works that save you. It's good works that are fruit of you being saved, that are an outworking of that, that are an outworking of the gospel in your life. So, and so let me give you some examples from elsewhere in, in Scripture. Second Timothy 2.21 on this whole theme of good work and investing ourselves. Therefore, if anyone himself cleanses himself from what is dishonorable. He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. We are to be setting ourselves, to, when we set ourselves to live for God's glory, the good works described here are fruit of God's work in us as our, our helpfulness, as an overflow of the holiness that God is creating within us. Or Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So the work of Jesus in our lives is designed to produce good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So our good works are here, evidence of a changed desire to be about God's work and living according to the pattern he's set apart, set, set, set us apart for. Titus 2.14 says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Are you zealous? Are you looking for it? Are you fired up and passionate about pursuing good works that glorify Jesus? It's our identity in Jesus Christ is the thing that incites the good works we're called to in God's word. Or Matthew 5, 16, Jesus himself, this is what he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Isn't that amazing? That we are a light that can shine before others. That's what Jesus is describing as. We can be a light that shines before others in order, and so that when they see your good works and they understand that you've been transformed by Jesus and he is the reason for those good works, they will glorify God who is in heaven. The goal of our good work is God's glory. Not to get a pat on the back, not for other people to think well of us, but that people would, would think well of Jesus. So discipleship that trains lives to live for God's glory happens <coughs> Excuse me. when we are intentional about it, when I'm intentional about it, when, when I'm inciting others towards Him. And third of all, when I'm invested in it. Verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Are you invested in this whole thing? Are you invested in what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you considering, what what are you thinking about these things? I don't even know what it looks like to invest in here. Well, thankfully it tells us right here. This is what it looks like to invest in this discipleship project that Jesus has for us. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. We talk often in our church family here about your walk with God as a community project. I think it was Paul Tripp I first heard talking about that before to give due credit. But 
we talk a lot about your walk with God as a community project, is that you cannot do this by yourself. In fact, more, God's design is not for you to do it by yourself. In fact, his design is for you not to do it by yourself, but to do it in community with other believers in a local church. So if you're, and, and so this is telling us, this is telling us, this isn't, like, this is an easy passage for me to preach to the pastor because it's not the pastor who's saying, you need to come to church more, okay? This is telling you, you need to invest in a local church. So if you're placing yourself somewhere that prevents that from taking effect, then that's going to pose a problem and runs in direct contradiction to what God says here in his word. It's a matter of neglect when we take ourselves out of places that are designed to have a sanctifying effect on our lives. So the encouragement, and the, well, the, not even encouragement, it's more than that. It's a direction, it's an instruction. Here is don't distance yourself from where discipleship happens. You need fuel for your own personal discipleship and your own personal disciple making. And the furnace of that is here when we're together as a local church or wherever your local church is that you choose to, to become a member of. This is telling us to go and stay close to places that are going to prove fuel to our walk with Jesus. The word for neglect means to forsake. So don't, for, don't neglect, don't forsake meeting together. Don't turn your back on things that turn up, the, turn up the temperature of your living for Jesus Christ. Don't turn your back on things that turn up the temperature of your living for Jesus Christ. Don't abandon those things. Don't walk out on things that will help you walk more closely to Jesus. Don't walk away from those things or walk out on those things. We want to be helpful in terms of, okay, what does that look like here in the local church? Here at Harvest, that would look like making the following things a priority in your diary, in your calendar. You're setting alarms. You're setting them a few days before. You're looking at your calendar thinking, no, I can't do that then. I've got, some, I've got something more important on. You may not necessarily tell people that, but maybe you would. There's something essential in my life is happening on that day at that time. Sunday gatherings. It's the first thing that I would look like here at Harvest in this local church. Sunday gatherings. This is encouraging you to let nothing get in the way of that. As we're considering what it means, it's that we're thinking about these things. Actually, that's too important to miss. It's way too important to miss for anything. Whether work opportunities or social events or kids' birthday parties or sporting events or a lie-in because you've had a busy week. This is way too important to miss out on. We believe God is something transforming to say to you every time we gather together and open his word together here. We, we believe that God is providing a community of people who are going to stir you up in your walk with Jesus. Why would you want to miss that? Small group is the second thing. Small groups are a massively important part of our life together as a church. They are the primary, primary place of pastoral care and community in our church. So if you want to feel cared for and connected, and small group is a place that happens here most. Doesn't matter how, t- and, and, and and it's hard because it's the middle of the week and our weeks are busy. But there's something about a mindset here which is saying, if I'm really invested in these things, it doesn't matter how tired or busy I need to get there. I've got to say, we, Alice and I have started. Alison and I have started leading a small group this year. It's been a real joy for us, and it wasn't on Harvest Men's and Ladies Week. 
I miss people being in our house. I miss having people. I need my people. I need the, the people in my small group to be around about me. I need that. It, 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 it stirs me up. It does exactly what it's saying here. And often we would approach small group in such a way as, I'm not sure I feel like it. Yeah, but the, the people in your small group need you to be there. In the same way as the people in our church family here on a Sunday need you to be there. It's not, it's not all about me. Sunday gathering, small group. What else does that look like at Harvest, at Harvest Glasgow? By extension of our small groups, Harvest Men's and Ladies. Those are events that are designed to feed your soul and give you a, I'm going to call it medium-sized, it sounds like a brochure, medium-sized context to invest in others, okay? It's not the big of this, it's, but it's not the small of small group, but it gives you different relationships and relationships out with your small group for you to be able to invest in and put into practice some of the things you're investing in. We are a church family, and it, as we multiply small groups, as we are prone to do, it may well be that some of those people who you're going to meet at Harvest Men's and Ladies are people who will be in your small group future. Well, you might change your small group. Yes, we might. So get to know some people who you wouldn't ordinarily rub shoulders with at Harvest Men's and Ladies. It's a great, op- it's a great opportunity to be at those events and it's also a different way that we, we have decided to, as elders of the church here, to invest in the discipleship of the people in our church family. Or prayer night. Love prayer nights. An amazing opportunity to press into God together as a whole church family. One of, one of the most fun things about that is to see Harvest Youth pitching up at that. Love that. Love seeing our young people praying and gathering. Being there, pressing into God together, praying with our church family. First Friday night of the month, here's the pitch. In your diary, well, something important is happening. I can't come out that night, sorry. Come to prayer night. And amongst all of this, there's this sense of being outward looking off. Maybe we need to change our perspective from what we get to what we give bottom line, this is a challenge to move from being the consumer to being more, be, being more consumer to being more contributor. These are the things that we're being encouraged to think about in these verses. It's committing yourself to a, fa- a local church family in order to position yourself to be as compelling as possible for God's glory because there you will find deepening relationships that allow you to disciple the people around about you. I tell you earlier on, I would come back to our membership covenant. I've left a whole bunch of copies there if anyone wants to get a look at what it means to be, a, what we invite people to commit to in terms of being a membership here at Harvest Glasgow. But we invite, just the, the headlines are this, we invite a commitment to, through biblical conversion, to biblical clarity, to biblical consistency, to biblical community, and to biblical contribution. Because we, and, and we rejoice because we get to do all of those things together. So let's, so let's consider how not to neglect meeting together. We're to not neglect meeting together. As is the habit of some. You know, some people might be in the habit of that. Some people might be in the habit of that, but not me, not us. And you might already, you might, you may feel, well, I am in that habit. I'm, I'm totally in that habit. This is telling you that is a habit that you're called to break. You're called to be a committed, you're called to be committed to a community of God's people. That's what God's calling is in your life in order to make disciples, which is God's purpose for your life. 
And if you're not invested, you remove the, remove the capacity of the intention and incitement that we've been talking about, and you immediately reduce your capacity to do the job that Jesus has given you, which is to make disciples. To do the kind of discipleship that happens when I invite others into it. That's the next thing. So we do it with intention, we do it to, we, we incite others, and we invite others into it as well. We're to find a local church to invest in so that we can be part of the invitation to walk alongside one another. The invitation is, let's walk together. Let's do life together. Let's share in this together. So rather than going it alone or isolating ourselves, we get to have the kind of demeanor and a way of living that invites others in and others along on the journey that God has us on. That's the sense of the word encourage. We are to encourage one another. Included in that is a range of different approaches and urgency. It describes calling alongside. It's come with me. Come, come over here. It's come with me to those who are close enough to reach. Come over here to those who are a bit further away. Let's do this together. It expresses to the people around about us, I'm in this with you. That's what an intentional, incited, invested, and inviting discipleship allows us to say, I'm in this with you. The word encourage here also suggests a pleading and an urging and a persuading, even to the point of begging approach. It's, be, it's urging and pleading with someone to say, this is the best thing. Living for God's glory, living for Jesus is the best thing. I've got to tell you how this is going to serve your soul. There's nothing better, there's nothing greater, there's nothing higher to give your life to than living for God's glory. Will you come, come and do that with me? That is the urgency and intentional, incited, invested, and inviting discipleship causes us to have. We're not to neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. We are to encourage one another. And it involves all of those things we've just talked about. It is an overflow that comes from understanding that the most loving thing you can do is inspire and invite someone to live their life for Jesus Christ. And there's an intensity to this invitation that comes about finally when I see the immediate need for it. When I see the immediate need for it. We're to do all the, so we're not to, not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. We're to encourage one another. Why? And, and what's the basis? We do it all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day is when Jesus is going to come back or the day when we go to be with him. But the clock is ticking. That's what this is telling us. This is a time-sensitive matter. Our consideration is, well, maybe, maybe I can think about that in a few years' time when I'm... No, no, no. It's now. You could come back at any time. You could go to be with him at any time. Now is the time. There's an immediate need for this. And yet we drift, and we mosey, we amble. D.A. Carson says this in 
as part of a uh, devotional that he writes and re- related to the uh, McShane Bible reading plan in his book, For the Love of God. People do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline and lost self-control, or lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. My tendency is drift. This is giving us a new direction. All the more as you see the day drawing near, that is the immediate need. Our urgency, my urgency, your urgency about discipleship is to flow from understanding that the day, the day of Jesus' return is drawing near and we need to be asking the question, are the people around me ready to meet Jesus? We get to help one another, get prepared for, and, and, and if they do, then we get to play a part in helping one another get prepared for Christ's appearance. Discipleship is living in the direction of the destiny that Jesus died and rose to secure for you. So when he comes, what do you want your life to be about? And what do you want him to see your life being invested in? In some ways it's immaterial because he sees it right now anyway. So when Jesus looks at your life, what do you want your life to be about? What do you, do you want him to see your life being invested in? It's, it's everyday living that is shaped by eternity. Discipleship is everyday living that is, a shape, that is shaped by eternity. It's devoting myself to daily living out the things that Jesus has declared to be eternally true about me because he died for me. So this whole thing about considering discipleship is that we are called to do it now and to be doing it more and more and more with every passing day because one way or another, we're getting closer to eternity. We're getting closer to being with Jesus. Discipleship is the work of God's people devoting themselves against, the, against drift in pursuit of something that draws attention to how glorious God is and how deserving Jesus is of every single part of us. It's a development of a deep trust in this reality that there is nothing, nothing greater to give our lives to and train other lives for than living for God's glory. What are you going to give your life to? What are you going to invest in? Are you going to invest your life in discipleship that trains hearts to live for God's glory? May that be true of all of us. And may God be glorified through all of that. In Jesus' name, let me pray for us. Just now. Father, we thank you that you've given us a life that, in Jesus which is greater than anything we could ever have established or built for ourselves. Father, we pray your forgiveness for the times when we are drawn back towards self-reliance and self-sufficiency and self-promotion and selfishness. Father, we, we long, or we ask that you would stir within us a longing to live our lives for Jesus. That you would be most glorified in us and our desire and our pursuit of living for you. That you would stir within us a passion for the people around about us to long that they would walk with you. That they would love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
Father, we, we thank you that that's the job you've been given us to do, is to ins- in- invite and incite worship of you. Father, we pray that you would help us, help us to consider these things. Help us not to go and forget about these things. Help us to, to consider our walk with you and, and long to be, go deeper. To look to your son and long to be nearer. Father, stir with, create within us a desire to, to be conformed to the character and likeness of Christ in such a way as spills over into the lives and the relationships you've given us here. And, and with urgency, Father, remove the complacency. Father, we thank you how your word directs us and shows us the way we ought to go and how we ought to live in response to the gospel. So, Father, we thank you that all of this is fueled by the gospel of grace by which we are strengthened and empowered for all of these things. Father, we pray you'd help us to live for your glory, by your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.